welcome to this week's episode of The Headliners. My name is Anna Herod, and I'm your news editor. And I'm XR Arguello, the assistant news editor. So this week, me and XR are going to talk about um, this headline, Local Businesses Ban Third-Party Food Delivery Service. So Franklin Barbecue in Austin announced food delivery services like Favor and TaskRabbit are banned from the restaurant's lines, preventing customers from ordering through a third party. Yeah, so basically what Favor and College Delivery are is uh, they're services that uh, allow you to order food through them, and then they'll deliver it to you as a third party. Um, I know Favor has an app. College Delivery does not, but uh, the way it works is that you kind of uh, call them or tune them in on the app, and they'll go ahead and uh, you order your food, and then they'll go pick it up for you, do the work for you, and then deliver it to you um, as well. But Franklin's Barbecue in Austin has kind of uh, stepped off from these third-party delivery services and said that uh, they will no longer be um, allowing... um, allowing these third-party services to to take part in their business. Franklin's Barbecue released a press release that stated that they wanted to avoid the long lines and they wanted to cultivate an in-house business for the restaurant. Um, they also stated that they want customers to come into the restaurant and have this experience of having a, um, an in-house feel and, and create a positive vibe for the restaurant. And uh, that was something that Favor and College Delivery just couldn't do for them anymore. Um, and in an email that they sent out to their customers, they said that they owe it to their customers uh, to prevent professional delivery services from being a distraction to their business. So Franklin's Barbecue is one of the restaurants in Austin that has kind of stepped on this trend to uh, eliminate services like college delivery and favor from from being in the restaurant um, and so forth. Yeah, um, and also I remember in that press release that Franklin's Barbecue sent out, um, they said that they also just don't want a third-party company representing their brand. So that factored into their decision. Um, But apparently this is a trend because in San Marcos, um, some businesses have also banned third-party line or order takers from being in their lines. So um, an example of this is Hayes County Barbecue. So... um, the story said that in the past, Hayes County Barbecue has refused service to um, favor runners who were coming to get um, an order of food for their customer. Um, so Aaron Hernandez, the manager, he said that the decision was made um, because there was an influx of wrong orders being made. And at their business, they want to provide their customers with you know, the right orders, no confusion. Um, and he also said that the use of favor and companies like that, there began to be a lot of confusion um, and that sometimes the runners would go to a different barbecue place in San Marcos. There was just confusion among similar restaurants and it wasn't what he wanted for the business. Um, and then also Tina Helaman, um, she's the PR spokesperson for um, Favor. She said that the company wants to maintain good relations with local merchant community, um, just in San Marcos in general. So she said that they will definitely uh, respect Hayes County Barbecue's wishes of not having the runners go and get food from um, Hayes County Barbecue. And then also Rebecca Rossi, um, she's with Dos Gatos Kalachis, and she said that um, that the favor and the college delivery people, they used to be more recognizable, um, specifically for favor, because they used to be required to wear um, these blue t-shirts as a part of their uniforms, and they were just like 
blue t-shirts that had um, white print on them that looks like tuxedo shirts. But she said that a lot of the favor runners no longer wear those. So um, even if they wanted to pick out which ones were there for favor, they couldn't really tell because they don't wear those distinct shirts anymore. But she said sometimes you can pick them out in the crowd because they're on their phones, like going over the details of the order um, while they're getting the food. So, and that that's going to be um, a challenge for Franklin's Barbecue. I foresee in Austin is uh, trying to make the distinction of who's a favor runner and who isn't, who's just a normal customer. It's going to be interesting to see how Franklin the Barbecue reacts to that and how they kind of see how they're going to um, you know work with that situation because favor favor runners are not required anymore to wear that uniform. So it'll be interesting to see um, that that change for them. Yes, and it seems that this year um, these two companies, College Delivery, which is native to San Marcos, and it's only operated here, and then Favor, which is more widely spread, but they just launched in San Marcos recently, seems to becoming to be becoming a trend where um, certain businesses are banning it. But then there's other restaurants in the community that are like embracing the partnership and allowing these runners to come in and out. So there's two sides of it. Um, and then the next story that me and X are going to talk about, um, the headline is, lack of parking spots caused some students to be concerned. So um, as Texas State continues into its 18th consecutive year of record-breaking enrollment numbers, the issue of parking on campus has become a frequent topic of discussion among students. Yeah, um, parking spaces can be seen as limited around campus, uh, especially with enrollment numbers going up. There's only so many garages that, that students can park in. Um, so when Cassandra, was it? Uh, Clayton. Clayton, I'm sorry. But when Clayton was able to speak uh, with people at parking services, they made the distinction that they're trying to uh, make the balance of, of parking permits towards the amount of students who are trying to buy them. Yeah, and, you know, if you're a Texas State student, then you know that parking is always an issue that people are talking about on campus, um, whether it's there are spaces, but they're way far away from their classes and they have to take a shuttle to get closer to um, the center of campus or whatever it is. It seems to always be like an issue of um, of aggravation for students. Um, so in the article, um, some data that was given to Clayton, the reporter who wrote the story, um, said that there are 1,200 to 1,300 empty parking spaces during peak hours of classes. Um, Stephen Prentice gave this to him. He's the assistant director of parking services. So um, this was kind of given in response to, um, to Clayton's questions because we found out that uh, parking services, they actually sell four perimeter parking passes for every one perimeter parking parking space um, on campus. So they oversell them. And so um, when students find out about this, sometimes they feel like gypped or they feel like, well, this is why I can't find any parking spaces on campus. But that's why Stephen Prentice, he was like, well, at the peak hours of um, classes, there's still 1,200 to 1,300 empty um, perimeter spaces during that time. So um, it's not an issue of a lack of parking spaces. It's just an issue of the location. So the spaces that are open are spaces that students may not necessarily want to park at because it's so far away from their classes. Right, uh, and kind of moving on with that, uh, parking services does make um, quite a quite a bit of money off these permits. 
Last year alone, they made between 4 and $5 million on parking services, and that includes selling of the permits and parking fines as well. Um, this is all um, information given by, by Stephen Prentice. Um, self-supporting org- uh, parking services is a self-supporting organization, excuse me, um, so they do not receive funding from anybody else other than themselves. So this 4 to $5 million is pivotal for them because this is the money that is used to have maintenance on their trucks, um, buy equipment for... Uh, for when they need to uh, issue out permits and things like that, so so they're completely self um, uh, sustained. Yeah, yeah. self sustained uh, organization here on campus that kind of that kind of runs runs that management. Yeah, and another thing that I thought was interesting about this story is that. Um, the residential parking passes are different. So these passes are given to students who live on campus, um, and then you know the university strives to um, make it a requirement for. Um, freshmen to live on campus, but you know they can only do that um, if they have enough space. So the Moore Street housing complex, um, that's being constructed right now. And according to a past University Star article, it's, it's expected to be completed in May. So that housing complex will um, add an additional 598 beds to campus for um, students who want to live on campus. So. Um, Stephen Prentice, he said that although there's 598 additional on-campus beds being made right now, there will only be 22 additional um, residential parking spaces added to campus. So obviously that's not really proportional, but it's just an issue of space um, because the residential parking spaces are normally closer to the center of campus. Um, However, uh, he said that there won't be an issue of overselling residential parking spaces, so to not worry about that. So with the residential parking spaces, it won't be like the perimeter where they sell four passes to every spot. For the residential ones, um, he said if there's only 5,000 residential parking spaces, then they will only sell 5,000 residential parking passes. So although they're not adding um, the same amount of residential parking spaces as there are um, additional residential beds, um, they won't oversell it. So it's kind of a plus and a minus in that situation. So yeah, and go along with with the Moore Street parking. I know if you look out there, if you if you decide to drive out there, uh, you can kind of see how they started adding a little bit of a little bit of spots. Obviously, not proportional to the amount of beds they're going to be adding. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see what they're going to do with that. Just because the space is so limited out there, if you go if you go out to that side of campus, there's the Bobcat Soccer Complex, the Rec. You have Falls and Sayers behind there as well, and then the new dorms that are going to be going up. So there's not a lot of room. They have the spec, <coughs> excuse me, the spec parking garage, but that is currently used for commuter. Um, so it'll, it'll be difficult. It'll be interesting to see where these green pass uh, students will be able to park next year with the limited spots um, on that side of campus especially. Yeah, and but I also do think it's worth mentioning that with, I believe with the green residential parking spaces, um, the people with those passes, they are allowed to park in any of the other spaces besides the gold and um, which are the commuter lots and then also the red. Right, right, yeah, yeah, you're completely right on that. Yeah, so, so like, um, even though there's only 22 additional ones, that doesn't stop the people with the residential parking um, permits to park in, say, the 12 to 1,300 empty perimeter parking spaces that are there during the peak hours of class. So really, it's not an issue of lack of spaces, like Stephen Prentice said. It's really, truly just um, location. It's not in desirable areas. Um, the parking spaces that are open are spaces that would cause students to have to walk 
a long distance to their dorm or their classes, ride the shuttle to get there from their car. So, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely agree that the uh, that it's more of a location thing. I know the Matthews parking garage, which is on the north side of campus, usually uh, has a lot of spots um, during the day. But someone who lives at Blanco or Falls and Sayers or the new Moore Street uh, dorms might have an issue with that just because it's a little farther off, even though there might be spots yeah. there. So it is, it is definitely an issue of location yeah. at this point. And although parking is an issue, it's nice that on campus we have um, such a thorough shuttle service. So For sure. Basically, anywhere you can think of on campus, there's a shuttle stop. So that's that's a plus. Um, so I think that's about it for that headline. Um, I know that a headline I'm looking forward to that will be out in the next couple of weeks is um, a story about veterans because uh, Veterans Day is coming up. So we have a reporter doing a feature, um, and he's going to find some veterans who are students on campus, faculty, um, whatever they may be, and talk to them about their experience of having to transition from, you know, the world of being in the military and then transitioning into civilian life and, like, being students or faculty members or whatever they may be and just talk about their experience and really give that perspective that you don't read about that often. You read a lot about Veterans Day and things like that, but it's not often that you run across something where those veterans are actually giving their perspective to what it's like transitioning into, you know, that life that they're so used to and back into civilian life. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is interesting to see that transition. You see it all the time. You see veterans in your classes. Um, I know we even had a reporter here last year who was a veteran and just talking to them about their, their life as a service in the Army or the Navy or whatever branch of the military they were in, back into a university setting and how that transition is, um, how that goes for them. And it's very interesting to hear their stories about that. So I'm very excited about that yeah, as well. And actually, another thing that kind of ties back to that, and I know that Clayton, the reporter who's writing this, is reaching back out to these people, but um, he did a previous story about a coastal flight program. And so that's actually a program that's coming to San Marcos. And what they do is... They, um, they gear it towards veterans who are actually trying to adjust to civilian life, and they make it to where their, um, their military skills can be put to use in the civilian world, and so they're training these people to be like commercial pilots. And so um, that's also an interesting thing, and I know that he's reaching back out to the people with Coastal Flight um, to get a little bit of their perspective on how veterans transition into civilian life because they're all about letting them put those skills into um, the civilian world. So it kind of ties back full circle. And to bring it back home, uh, it is good to know that Texas State is very much passionate and uh, does a good job of bringing in veterans and veteran awareness to the university. I know that's something that they make strives to do. Yeah. So, um, so looking forward to, to what Clayton is going to say about this. What are this. you looking forward to? Okay, so <laughs> the Dean of Students uh, apparently gives out emergency, fun emergency funding excuse me, for students with financial problems or financial instabilities. Um, this is, should not be mistaken with the emergency tuition loan. This does not have to do with tuition. But uh, basically, let's say uh, a foreign exchange student has a family emergency back in their home country and they need to go home. The university will actually pay for their flight home and any other accommodations that they might need to make that trip uh, a little easier for that student. So it has nothing to do with tuition, but uh, more of helping a student out in time of need. Um, I know it might be geared towards foreign exchange students, so that'll also be extremely interesting to see. I know Eric is working on this and it should run maybe sometime next week. So just, uh, be on the lookout for that. But it's good to know that the Dean of Students is, is giving a program that gives back to students um, 
school isn't isn't cheap and we pay a lot of money to come here so it's good to know that that they're reaching out and and helping and has have this initiative to help students uh, when they really need it yeah and i'm actually looking forward to that too because i want to know you know how often is this loan given out um is it always just in cases of foreign exchange students or are there other cases like what are the criteria um what are the requirements for people to be able to get this loan um how much money is it usually for so those are some questions that will be answered in this article so i'm really looking forward to it too it should be out in the next couple of weeks so yeah for sure i'm looking forward to that too but um i think that's it anna yeah 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 that's it so thank you guys for tuning in um make sure to catch next week's episode of the headliners i'm anna herod i'm your news editor and i'm xr Aguayo, your assistant news editor thank you thank you